did not like that hit on Kyler Yamamoto and lands a clubbing right hand that fells Justin Hall. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. Monday Night Football, Bills and Jets are 3-3 halfway through the second quarter. Bills are driving the ball here inside the Jets 40. But the story early in the game, one of the best players in the NFL this century, Aaron Rodgers, was sacked. Wasn't a violent sack. He kind of got pulled down by the hips, lay on the field, hobbled to the bench, went into the magic blue injury tent and then eventually hobbled off the field. So the big off-season acquisition for the New York Jets, I would say really the uh, the biggest uh, news of player movement in the NFL from the off-season, quarterback Aaron Rodgers already out of the game for the Jets, and they are at a 3-3 tie with the Bills, who have now completed a pass down to the Jets' 10-yard line as they try to take the lead. It's 3-3. The scoreboard updated courtesy Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for 40 years. Big game for the Blue Jays as they try to inch closer to a playoff spot. And uh, not looking good at the moment. They are trailing the Rangers 5-3 in the top of the seventh. Blue Jays are in a wild card position. One game ahead of Seattle. Texas, the best non-playoff team in the American League. Uh, half a game behind Seattle as we uh, wind our way into the final three weeks here of the Major League Baseball season. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins, and it is a, an abbreviated show. We have the Elks this week with Morley Scott coming up at 730 and my oh my, things have changed a lot for the Edmonton Elks over the last five games, ever since Trey Ford went in at quarterback, ever since Jarius Jackson took over as offensive coordinator. They've gone 3-2 and two in those games. In the two games they lost, they had a double-digit lead in both games. Remember, they led Winnipeg 22-0. Now, it was in the first half, and you're dealing with Winnipeg. And, of course, they blew that big lead in Calgary back on uh, Labor Day Monday one week ago today. But speaking of making leads disappear, the Elks were able to do that Saturday night at Commonwealth Stadium. Ball's going to go back to Kevin Brown. He's going to find another hole. He gets to the 30. He gets to the 20. Can he make it? Touchdown. And they're up, Edmonton. Touchdown, Elks. Kevin Brown to the end zone. Here's Trey Ford on second down. Stands in the pocket. He'll whistle one ahead, and that's another interception as uh, Robertson picks it up. And uh, Trey Ford has now thrown a pair of picks in this one. And it is up and through. And it's now 23-7. There's the snap. Cornelius dives over. Touchdown, Elks. Taylor Cornelius. Here he is on first down. Takes the snap. Drops back. Settles into the pocket and throws. He's going to the end zone for this one. You hear it. Dylan Mitchell. Touchdown, Elks. And all of a sudden, the offense is awake. He's bouncing in the pocket. He'll throw. And that's complete on the far side to Eugene Lewis. Gotta go. Got time in the pocket. Throws over the top, and it goes incomplete. Play. Flags come out on the play. Two Stampeders are all over Dylan Mitchell. There's the throw. It is complete to the 35-yard line. got to get up and spike line. it. Ball is down. Kick is up. Dolly Good. Dean Faithful has won it for the Edmonton Elks. A comeback win, 25-23. And the Elks are victorious in the Labor Day rematch over the 
Calgary Stampeder. Well, you got to love Morley Scott pulling out the jolly good as the English kicker gets the game winner with no time on the clock. The Elks 3-10 and on the season. The playoffs remain an unlikelihood as they are last in the entire league, last in the West Division, two points behind Calgary for fourth. Calgary does have the tiebreaker. Remember that differential. The Elks lost by four on Labor Day, only one by two in the rematch. So if Edmonton and Calgary tied in the standings, Calgary would be placed higher. So keep that in mind. It, it's still going to be very difficult for the Elks to make the postseason. Five games remaining. Uh, they'd probably have to go at least 4-1, and one, maybe 5-0, and oh, just to have a chance. And there's a chance that that might not even be good enough. But that aside, the offense is completely different the last five games. They score points. They move the ball. They make exciting plays. And as we saw on Saturday, they can have kind of a lousy game for a large portion of it and then still figure it out. Thanks to Trey Ford. Thanks to Jarius Jackson's play calling. And uh, just thanks to some execution down the stretch. And yes, I am going to address this. Perhaps a break on a pass interference call, which is something I have been complaining about most of the season, not every night. Kellen, I don't think I've complained about this every night. But I have brought it up at times that I- I'm not a fan, not so much of the pass interference calls in the CFL, mm-hmm. but perhaps the standard. Now, ah, yes. So, so here, I'm going to talk about two plays in particular, uh, both of which helped the winning team in, in the Labor Day series. In Calgary last Monday, they-, they throw a pass into the end zone, and McLaurin for the Elks gets flagged. And it originally was not called. Dave Dickinson challenges for pass interference. It was a foul in the end zone, so they get the ball in the one, they score, and then, of course, they score again, and they win the game. So that was, a, that was a big play in the fourth quarter of that game. The reason I don't like that call is because McLaurin is, is in a pretty good position to cover the play. I mean, yes, he's trailing the receiver, but he's keeping up with him, and then the ball isn't particularly well thrown, and the receiver has to slow down, and McLaurin is almost punished for being so close to him because as soon as he slows down, he hits him. He looks up, he finds the ball. He sort of bats at it as the receiver reaches for it. And originally they said, okay, no foul. So whenever there's a situation like that, I always try to think to myself, and and I do this with the hockey broadcast too. Uh, You know, I'm always looking at the NHL rule book and and I found the CFL rule book last week. As much as I I think that sometimes you have to say, hey, you know what, the ball wasn't where it should be, and you got to give the defender a chance to make a play on it, the CFL rulebook does state that if if a player, offensive or defensive player, though it's usually the defensive player, if a player isn't looking at the football when he when he makes contact, he is going to get a penalty. Now, I think there should be a little more leeway with that. But that's why McLaurin eventually was was flagged after the challenge because when he first made contact, he was looking at the Calgary receiver. Then he found the ball and got a hand in the way. But but the CFL rule states if your head isn't turned to the ball, you you can't – like if he's looking at the ball the whole way and bumps the Calgary guy because he's watching it the whole way and is trying to get it, totally different situation. So as much as I don't like – 
maybe the rule or think there should be more leeway. That's why it was called. Now, why was Muhammad called the Stamps defender for the uh, pass interference on Dylan Mitchell that got the Elks across midfield, then got them the pass to Eugene Lewis, which then got them the faithful field goal? And when, it, when I saw that at full speed, I mean, you're watching a lot live. I'm sitting in the stands. I'm thinking, oh, man, how was that pass interference? Because the ball was a little bit underthrown. And Mitchell and Muhammad are both kind of diving for it when they see where it goes. And I was like, oh, man, I, I, I don't know if that's pass interference. I think that's two guys diving for the ball. But I went, I, I, watched, uh, I, I watched it several times. I, I always PVR the game. I almost said tape it. I certainly wasn't using a VHS, Kellen. I PVR'd the game, and I watched this several times. So it was called, first of all, it was called pass interference on the field, Okay. And there really wasn't a good angle that showed that it wasn't pass interference, at, le- at least not from what TSN showed. They didn't have a zoom in. They didn't have an ISO on Mitchell. They kind of tried to artificially zoom in. So when, when the call is made on the field, there has to be definitive evidence to change it, right? So uh, uh, last Monday, the CFL said, we have enough evidence to definitively call McLaren, McLaurin for pass interference. We absolutely think that's pass interference. In this case, the official throws the flag, so therefore the league has to say, okay, our guy called it pass interference. We have to have absolute evidence that it's not pass interference. And I think perhaps the Elks there benefited as much from the lack of, 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 a, of a good replay as they did from perhaps the whether or not there was an infraction on the play. So uh, first of all, the, the league can't overturn it because they're saying, eh, I don't know, they th- we don't think there was pass interference. No, they have to be absolutely sure. Second of all, and this is what I, I, I learned when I watched it again, or I realized when I watched it again, the flag was not thrown when the two players were diving for the ball. The flag was thrown earlier in the pattern, and Mitchell was cutting towards the middle of the field, and Muhammad sort of went behind him and was really close to his back and and may have had his arm around him impeding him. Again, the video didn't zoom enough to show it, but if you see the replay, the flag is already coming out of the ref's pocket when the ball is hitting the turf. So that was a flag earlier in the pattern. So in that situation, if it hadn't been pass interference, it would have been illegal contact. But then when you threw when you throw to the guy who was contacted illegally, it becomes pass interference. Now, would I prefer to see that not called in that situation? Probably, without getting a good look at it. Um, but look, I'm going to state this, and it's a bit of a homer comment, folks, but the Elks have been having such a bad season, I'm just going to roll with it, quite frankly. Um, sometimes you just get a break. <laughs> and uh, when they were 0-8 and, and then 0-9, uh, they were lousy, and you couldn't find a lot of breaks there either. I mean, when they got shut out against the BC Lions at home, still sad that we have to specify which shutout. When they lost to the Lions at home, there were three very tic-tac-y, ticky-tack pass interference calls against the Elks. Very, very borderline calls. Now, would have they helped them win that game? No, because they were getting shut out and getting dominated. But still, an iffy call is an iffy call. So maybe they were due to get an iffy call, and they were due to get it in a game where something was on the line. And what does my colleague Rob Brown often say when we do overtime open line and talk hockey? He says, you know what? 
you need a break or you need a bounce sometimes to win a game or to go far in the playoffs or to get in or whatever. But he said, the thing is, did you win the game because of the bounce or the break? Or did you win the game because you were in position that a, a bounce or a break in the right direction would help you? And look, that easily could have been a game in which the Elks were down 10 points with 14 seconds left and a pass interference call would have not made a lick of difference. But they'd fought their way back in the game to be down a point and they put themselves in a position where an iffy call actually helped them. And perhaps that was, uh, they were due for it, given how many games uh, they've lost over the last few seasons. So they pull out the win. Trey Ford figured it out. I think that's a big positive. I thought Jarius Jackson calling plays started to figure some things out. And what what impresses me about that, I mean, look, it'd be nice to go out there and beat Calgary 40-10 to 10 and, and cruise to the finish line and pound them. But as in sports as in life, it's not about perfection. It's not about domination. It's not about getting it easy. It's often about figuring it out. And if you look at the best teams in sports, in any league, in any sport, um, they're usually good at just figuring it out. We're in a tough game. Things aren't going our way. We're behind. We're not getting calls. We got injuries. Whatever. We got to figure it out. And the Elks finally, finally were able to recover from some really poor offensive football, quite frankly, and not a great defensive performance for the first half either. They were able to figure it out. And maybe, maybe uh, they planted the seeds here to build something good, not just for the rest of this season, but going into next year. The Bills did get a touchdown, 10-3. They lead the Jets, 247 left in the second quarter. We will keep you updated on that one. We'll visit with the guy who called the jolly good field goal, Morley Scott, coming up inside Sports on Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Uh, we will go to the Certainty Hotline. The pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty Pro all the way. He's the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Elks here on 630 Chet. He has the Elks this week. Coming up after the 730 News, he's the guy who gave you the jolly good call on the Dean Faithful field goal. It's Morley Scott checking in. Hey, Morley. Hey, Reid. How you doing? I'm doing great. I uh, obviously didn't hear uh, your call until I listened to the points after show and the, and they played the drive of the game. And I was like, my goodness, Morley, that's why I like working with you. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, I hope this isn't too inside baseball for people. But when you when you have an iconic call like that, the jolly good on the winning field goal by a British kicker, is that spur of the moment? Are, are you sitting on it? Tell me about your process. Uh, I'm I'm sitting on it. I kind of I think of things, you know, at various times, and I got a file in my phone. I said, oh, this might be cool to say sometime uh, if the situation works out right. And uh, last year, I had a, a good conversation uh, with the kicker we had last year, who you'll, who you'll remember is of uh, Mexican descent and, and Spanish, and uh, we went over some things. And that's I, I used Este Bueno for a couple of big kicks of his uh, when 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 he made them, uh, and uh, that was I did it in Saskatchewan when he when he had the, the 
the winner late uh, last year and then uh, also last year for the I think the convert in Montreal for the big comeback so uh, I, I, I you know I, I kind of have things sitting around sometimes I'll use them sometimes they sit in my file for three four years before I ever pull them out and use them uh, the situation has to be right you got to be patient and I thought the situation was uh, was right for what I said uh, in the game at the end Saturday night it was perfect and, I, and I've never seen a celebration where a player will uh, pull out the uh, a characteristic of, I suppose, his now deceased monarch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Queen's Wave by Deed Faithful as part of the celebration. That, that was that pretty was unique. spectacular. He did it twice. He did it on the field with the fans, uh, and then he did it in the dressing room again when the team, uh, I don't know if you saw that, you probably saw that video oh, too. Yeah. The team put him up on his sho- up on their shoulders, and he gave the wave. It was just, it was just outstanding. And I, he's a good guy. I mean, I'm, I'm real happy for him. He came into a bad situation, and and I, you know, some people have been saying, yeah, but he's not that consistent. And, and shake your head on that one because he's missed only three field goals this year, and he's hit nine in a row. He's at, uh, I think, 85 or 86 or 87 percent, something like that. So um, for a guy in his first year in the Canadian Football League, he's having a pretty good season, I think. And, and you know, he's he's mature, which has, I think, helped him a lot in those situations um, because he is 36 years of age or, or 47, as Chris Jones right. called him in the uh, when he gave him the game ball last night. Jones had the good line too. He was asked post game about he saw the celebration and, and he saw he saw him up on everybody's shoulders and he said he's a 36 year old rookie. Be careful. We don't want him on the sixth game, right? So uh, it was it was just such a good night. It was just such a good night uh, for everybody involved. The great crowd too. Uh, so many of the players and, and Coach Chris Jones talked post game too about the crowd and what a great uh, and what a great uh, feel they got from the crowd last night. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a good night. Shame on you if you went home early, right? Uh, oh. You missed a, you missed a good finish. You're some people yourself. left. Some people now. I don't yep. know if they got out of the stadium or if they just went and stood on top. But yeah, in my section, uh, we, about probably ten to fifteen people started making their way up the stairs when Kevin Brown got stuffed on the third one. I was one. Uh, yeah. I, I was talking to uh, to Shea Ganim today, and he was there, and uh, he was talking about you know what a beautiful night it was all around. But he decided to leave, but he left from his seats, and he ended up uh, watching from the railing underneath the scoreboard. Uh, so he's like as far away as you possibly can get from right. the field goal. Uh, <laughs> but he did stay. He was in the stadium, and he did watch, and, and he did see the game-winning field goal. So, uh, but probably. A lot of people were in that boat too because you know you wouldn't have a lot, enough time probably to get out of the stadium or not so unless you left real early but yeah it was it was, it was a pretty good night and, and it's funny Reed we talk about what a, what a great night what a great atmosphere it was this is all for a team that's got three wins right um, and, and and it just shows you what kind of fan base they have if the team can win right I mean winning cures so many things and we're starting to see that in the last month and a bit all right who do you have coming up tonight we're, we're talking to the queen uh, or the dean as he's been called uh, oh, nice. uh, God God save the dean uh, Dean Faithful will join us tonight. He's coming on, on live? Uh, he's coming on oh, live. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Gonna, okay. We're going to talk to him. So, And look back a little bit more at, uh, at Saturday night, too. All right. Uh, Morley Scott with the Elks this week after the 7.30 News. Blue Jays now trailing Texas 10-3 in the 7th. The Bills leading the Jets 10-3 late in the first half. Monday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers knocked out of that game early. Big thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. My name Reed. Talk to you tomorrow. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my god, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you
Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.